of you and open to John <clears throat> 14. Let's read uh, verses 1 to 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves." Well, just in terms of review, we're going through a series on God the Father. The actual the reason that I wanted to go through this series and specifically looking at John was because of John 14 through 17, and just some all this is review, but just bear with me for a minute here. Just um, a reminder of really what a big deal John 14 to 17 is. God is called Father more times in John 14 to 17 than the whole Old Testament by quite a few. John 14 to 17, God is called Father more than any other book in the Bible, entire book. And that's pretty amazing. And then the book of John obviously has God being called Father more than any other book if just 14 to 17 has God being called Father. Some of the chapters approach Matthew, which is the second most references to God as Father. Some of the chapters almost have as many as Matthew. Not quite. It's just single chapters. And for me, you know, different backgrounds, so some of you may be different. I read, I could read through John 14 through 17, and I didn't see God as Father in it, even though it says God is it says Father over and over and over and over, I was so focused in on Jesus, I missed what he was saying, and that's possible. You can be so focused in that you don't hear what he's actually saying, and it makes me feel better because that's exactly what the disciples did too here in this passage. They missed it. Where are you going? Why don't you show us the Father? And yeah, they just missed it. And I missed it too. You can get so focused on Jesus that you miss the Father. And we've talked about that already. A good example of that, uh, we talked about an outline that a German theologian did on John 14. And it's a great outline. And I'm 
thankful for it, and I'm going to use it because it's, it's really helpful. The one thing that he did, I, subconsciously, I think, was every time it said the word Father, he took out the word Father and replaced it. So for this passage that we're going to talk about today, it says that he's comforting the disciples, and the first comfort he gives them is that heaven is certain. Well, this passage actually doesn't even say heaven. It says the Father's house. That's what Jesus calls heaven here. And we talked about, I've already described that outline to you before, but he does that all the way through where Jesus says Father, he puts in Christ's absence instead of going to the Father, things like that. And so it's easy to do. And that actually is one of the things that helped me to see how big a deal Father is in, in this passage. Last thing in terms of review, the, the Gospel of John is very different than the other Gospels, really different. And one of the things that's so different is that there's hardly any ethical commands or imperatives until John 13. The only command, basically, is to believe. And he says it in different ways, but basically he just says, believe. Believe on Jesus. Believe the Father, it even talks about believe his works. And so anyways, all that is to say it's different. So we, we see that the Father is mentioned more, and we also see that faith is essential. And so let's look here, John 14, to see both those pieces here, 14.1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So here's faith. Remember the word faith and the word believe are the same word. One's a noun, one's a verb. A hammer is a thing, and a hammer is what you do with it. That's the verb. And that's the same with believe and faith. They're the same word with different forms. In Greek, there's only a different ending. It's, it, it's much more similar. It would be like hammer and hammer in English. It's obviously connected. In English, unfortunately, believe and faith uh, don't connect unless you know that. So just keep that in mind. So believe, and that's what we talked about last week, is that we ought to believe. We ought to have faith in God. Believe God. And then here today, let's talk about something central in Christianity. Something absolutely central. And here's my message, my, my main one point for today is this. Christianity... Christianity focuses in on a person. On a person. It's person-centered. Or we could say three persons. Christianity is God-centered. That's what the Bible presents. That's what Jesus teaches. And it's easy to miss it. It's easy to miss it in our lives. It's easy to miss the person-centeredness of Christianity. Even think about taking the phrase Father's house and replacing it with heaven. It's just think about yourself here and how your concept of what does it mean when you die, you stand before God in judgment, you either are with Him or apart from Him forever. What do you think of when you think of heaven? Is the central thing about heaven a person? 
Is it a person? Or is it that there's no suffering? Or is it that you'll see your family again? Or is it something else? It makes me think of, uh, this is kind of a silly thing, and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to make light of it, but it get, it's actually a pretty good example that when I was in youth group, I don't know how many of you were in youth group, but we sang a song that I don't think would probably pass muster here. And it was called uh, Father, The Father's House, I think, something like that. And this is a chorus here. It says, Come and go with me to my Father's house. So far, so good. Good um, in terms of, that's biblical calling it the Father's house. Come and go with me to my Father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. So that's good. Paraphrase here. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play football. A big house. It's my Father's house. And that's the that's a chorus. And, you know, The main thing about heaven isn't all the good things. It's not going to be the food. I'm thankful that there will be people there that I love and there will be fellowship. It's going to be a central part of it. But the main part, the most important part, is God. It's God, right? It's the Father's house. And actually, I do think that we might, you know, you might have different views of what the Father's house is going to be like. But if we have new bodies and a new earth, I do think there will be work and sports and things like that. So I don't think necessarily that's wrong. I think we actually could, it's possible to play football. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But that's not the main thing. That's not the main thing at all. And it can get in your mind. These other things become primary or secondary. The secondary things become primary and the primary things become secondary. Christianity is essentially... The main point is a person, or three persons, God. God, Christ, the Father, the Spirit. That's the main thing. And so, that's what I want you to notice about this passage. Let's read the next verse here, verse 3. Verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's what Jesus is saying. He wants us to be with him where he is. That this is the central message of Christianity, we could say. The good news is God, that we can know him. We can be with him. We can be like him. We can be right with him. And so let's just think about this. Think about one, this particular passage is talking about heaven. But let's think about it in a broader sense. Let's think about how God has sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to show us what? That we can be right with God. We can know Him. We can be with Him. So let's just think about it on a couple different headings. So I'm going to have you to flip around here, and we're going to look at a couple different passages. But look at 2 Corinthians 4 here. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 through, 4 through 6 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So one big difference between non-Christians and Christians here, according to this passage, is what? It says that non-Christians have been blinded. Blinded from what? Blinded from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They've been blinded from seeing the goodness, the wonderfulness, the glory of God. That's what they can't see. That, in reality, I guess I would say that the song that I quoted there is actually, I don't have any problems theologically with it at all, really. I mean, um, you could debate whether football will be there, but I do think because there's new bodies, we're still going to work, it's just not going to be toil, is what I think. Uh, new earth just put back how it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think there's going to be food and lots of those things. But the problem is that for me, as a lost person, all I was thinking about was all the stuff other than God, right? In kind of, in a way, it's a test, right? It shows where you're at, right? You, if you're lost, you don't see anything good about being with Jesus forever, right? You don't see anything wonderful and amazing about being with God forever. You kind of think, well, I don't really want to go to hell, but I mean, I'm not like longing to just be with Jesus forever. Eating food, playing games, that sounds really good, but being with God, I don't really get that. That's a lost person. Whereas the Christian, what it says? It says that we were all like that, right? We can all say at one point we were just like that. We didn't get it, right? The Bible was boring, prayer was boring. God wasn't really that interesting. God wasn't that wonderful. But something happened. What happened? Verse 6. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What happens when you become a Christian is you become person-centered, right? You see, wow, there's one thing that's better than every other thing. It's God. It's God, and I can know Him, and I want to know Him. That's what it means to become a Christian. Conversion is seeing the goodness, the wonderfulness of God. That's amazing. So just a quick question, you know, is God wonderful to you? You know, when, when you hear... All that stuff is the main thing that it's the Father's house or is the main thing there's going to be all these good things? You know, when we, what do we call a person? What does the Bible call a person who loves something or anything more than God? An idolater, right? We could become little Christian idolaters, quote unquote, right? Well, I'm going to accept the gospel. I'm going to know this fact 
so I don't have to suffer, so I can go to heaven. I don't really want to know God, but I certainly don't want to go to hell. That's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching the goodness of God, that it's the Father's house, that we get to be with Jesus. That's what he's saying, that we can be with him where he is. So it changes our view of conversion, right? Conversion is seeing the wonder of God. What else is it seeing? It changes how we see sin, doesn't it? Let's think about, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's just think about the story of the prodigal son. Most of you are familiar with that. The prodigal sons, the son says to his father, you know, give me my inheritance. He gets the money and he goes off to a distant land to spend it all and squander it all. And then he realizes when he's ran out of money and all his friends are gone, this is miserable. Why don't I go back to my father? Because he has more, he has food to eat and I could tell him that I'm not worthy to be called his son and I'll go back to him. And he, he does, he goes back. The father runs out to meet him and he begins his little prepared speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And before he can finish, the father says, prepare the fountain calf, bring out the best robe, bring a ring to put on his finger for my son who is dead is alive. And they celebrated. And then there's the older brother. Remember that part? The older brother stands outside the party and he's upset and he says to the father, why didn't you at least give me a goat to eat with my friends? I always did what you said and you never gave me anything. And here this son that squandered all your property, now that he's back, you give him a feast. Well, both those are pictures of sin. What's sin like? Sin is not wanting to be near God. Sin is loving God's gifts more than God. Right? That's what both sons did. Both the older and the younger son basically said, God, I, the father is God there. I just want your gifts. I don't want, I don't really care about being near you. And that's sin. That's what sin is. Sin is not caring about the person of God, not wanting to know him, not wanting to be with him. Just wanting your own thing, wanting your own desires satisfied. And that's what the father says to the older son, he says, I'm always with you. But the older son doesn't, doesn't appreciate that. So when we see the person-centeredness of the gospel, of Jesus' message, of the Bible, it changes how we view sin. Sin is not just sin because it's wrong or it hurts people. One of the biggest and most sad things about sin is that it's not valuing God and that it separates you from God. Both. Sin is saying, God, I see you. This other thing's more valuable. Sin is saying, God, there you are. I don't want to be with you. I want to do my own thing. Remember Genesis 3. What was one of the punishments? What was one of the results of the fall? Separation from God. They couldn't go back into the garden. If you want to say it this way, we've been, we were in the Father's house, right? And one day we're going to be back there. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be restored. The garden that we got kicked out of, everything will be destroyed and we'll have a new Eden. We'll start all over. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is kind of reversed in, Genesis, in Revelation. 
except it's in the opposite order. The devil's defeated. Here comes the, the new heaven and the new earth. The people of God will bear his image. Right? But one of the costs of sin is separation from God. Is that a big deal? Yeah, that's the biggest deal. The biggest part of sin, the, biggest, the worst part of sin is that it separates us from God. We were, we, we were in the Father's house, and we said, I don't want to be there. I don't want to do what you said. You said, don't eat the fruit. I kind of want to eat the fruit. And I want to do it my own way. And then when God comes, they hide. They don't want to be near God. They hide themselves in the tree. That's what sin is. Jesus is coming to reverse it, isn't he? You see, the gospel The gospel is centered on God. Remember 1 Peter 3.18, what it says. It's a great summary of the gospel. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Why is it good news to be forgiven? Why do we want Jesus' blood to cover us? We want to be forgiven. That's definitely true. But is that the main reason? It's that we want to be forgiven so that we can be reconciled to God. We want to know God again. We want in our daily life to be able to be near to God. When we go out and wake up in the morning, we want to be able to pray to God. When we go out with our day, we want God with us there. When we live our whole life, we want God to be a part of it. When we die, we want to be with God. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel isn't like, if I offend you and then you come to me and say, I'd really like to be forgiven, I say, okay, well, it was, you know, maybe you did something. It was, maybe you wrecked my car, let's say that. You wrecked my car and you you feel the tension. Oh man, something's really off, so you come to me. I really want to get this right and I'm really sorry, will you please forgive me? Well, it's costly, you know, however much my car costs. And I'll pay, for, I'll pay the debt, and I forgive you. And then you say, whew, that's good. Now it's off my conscience, I can go live my life. And you don't care if you see me ever again. That's not the forgiveness that we're talking about with Jesus. We're not saying, I've got this weight on my conscience, I really want to get it clean. Wow, Jesus died for me? That's great. I can go on and live my life and not feel guilty. That's not it. It's I want to know God. I want to be right with God. It's not that I just want to get this off my conscience and go live my life and feel better. It's that I want, to, I want this to be washed. I want this to be off and clean because I want to have a relationship with you, God. I want to know you today, right now, tomorrow, every day for the rest of my life and all eternity. That's the, that's the reason that I want to be forgiven. That's the reason that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be with him where he is. You see? We don't want to make God a means to an end. We don't want to say, here's God, the, the most wonderful being in all existence, and he's going to give you all these little things that you can love more than him. No. He died so that you could be with him. Be with him where he is. And not only him, the Father, right? You could know the Father. It's a father's house. He's 
preparing us so that we can be enter into the fellowship that God has with God, which is pretty amazing. So you see the person-centeredness, the God-centeredness of the gospel of this here is, is good news, but it changes how we see conversion, changes how we see sin, it changes how we see the gospel. Think about, like we've already said, heaven. But in the reverse, what about hell? Here's a description of hell from Second Thessalonians. It says this, Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds pretty like, okay, kind of what's in our mind about hell, but listen to this next part. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. What's hell described as there? Is it fire? We think about that, yes. Is it punishment? Yes. But then what's the, what's the exclamation point on that? It's that they're away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. God's not going to be there. That's, that's the reason hell is hell. What, where does every good gift come from? The Father of lights, right? God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. What's it going to be like to be separated from God? Forever. Hell. That's what hell is. It's when you're separated from the goodness of God forever. You know, even Jesus' parables, you know, remember the parable about hell? I don't know. Some people call the, the guy the rich man, and then there was a guy in hell that, um, they call him dives. I don't know why they call him dives, but some people call him dives. Um, Basically, he's in, the rich man's in hell, and the poor man is in heaven. And the guy in hell, he's not saying, man, I want to be near God. He's saying, send somebody down here to wet my tongue. Remember that? That's kind of a good picture. Well, it's a great picture because it's Jesus' picture. But it's another example of this. The, the, the man in hell doesn't think, man, I really want to be right with God. He thinks, I really don't want to suffer. But that's not the big thing. The big thing is that God's not there. That's the reason it's horrible, is that the source of all goodness, life, and comfort isn't there. So what's, what's our response here? First, I just want you to think about this passage. When we think of heaven, let's think of less a place and more of a person, right? The reason heaven's heaven is because it's the Father's house, because Jesus is going to be there, because we're going to be with God, we're going to have communion with God, we're going to see him face to face. That's the good, that's the good news. It's not that there's no suffering or, or any of that. I think there will be work, so that, if that's sad to you, then that's what I think, but I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah, it may not be, you know, an eternal retirement. You may actually work more than you ever did. But God's going to be there. 
And there's not going to be toil. There's not going to be the negative effects. So how do we apply this? Well, first off, when we think of heaven and hell and the gospel and sin, we think about it in terms of God. Not mainly in terms of me, my feelings, my comfort. It's God. When I sin, I'm separating myself from God. When I hear that Jesus died for me, that's good news because it can, he can bring me back to God. When I hear that I don't have to go to hell, that's good news because God's not there. I won't ever see him. If I go to hell, I'm never going to be near God. And heaven, the Father's house, is, is heaven because God is there. Is that our attitude? Is that, is that how you feel? If you don't, the first thing you can do is just admit it. Just tell God that. Just say, God, if I'm honest, and this is actually the way, this is the way I was converted, is I just told God, I don't love you. If I'm really honest, I, I feel like I know the gospel, but I can't say the things the people in the Bible said. I don't love you. I, I told God when I was converted, I just said, I love, you know, a lot of things more than you. Most things. I love TV more than you. I love movies more than you. I love just hundreds and hundreds of things more than I love you. And that really bothered me. Um, that's the way I was actually saved was listening to a sermon about how people in the Bible actually loved God. And then the guy ended, I I think I've told you this before, he just said, why don't we? I don't know that he knew the answer. Maybe he did. And he was just leaving it up to us to think and pray about it. But the answer is, we're lost. You know? If we don't love God, we're, we're still lost. We haven't been converted. Conversion is seeing the goodness of God. Seeing that God's better than anything the world has to offer. Look at this uh, couple passages with me as we kind of try and wrap this up. Philippians, sorry, not Philippians, Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, right at the end. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive, olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the folds, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's saying, if all the good things of earth fail, I'm still going to rejoice in God. God's better. If God takes everything from you, but you still have God, is that enough? It's hard. I'm not saying it won't be hard if that happens. It would be terribly hard. Horrible. The good gifts God gives are really good, and it really is hard to lose them. But yet, what do we have? What's the main thing? It's God. It's God. Psalm 73 is very similar to that. I'll read that. Psalm 73 says almost the same thing in a little bit different way. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's saying, in heaven, on earth, the one thing that matters is God. He's my portion. I can know him. I'm right with him. I can be with him. Even if my flesh and my heart fail, even if I have nothing, but I have God, he's my portion. That's what I want. One thing have I asked that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. Remember that? David. The main thing that we get in knowing Jesus is Jesus, is the Father, is the Spirit, is God, is knowing Him, is being right with Him. And this is the comfort here that Jesus is giving His disciples. The very first comfort that He gives to them. Let not your hearts be troubled. If your hearts are troubled, what do you need? You need to trust, believe, have faith in God and in Jesus, in the Father and in the Son. Believe. Believe what? That He'll take us with to be with Him where He is. He's not going to fail. The thing that He shed His blood for, He's going to accomplish, which is to unite us, to create one people, um, for his own possession, to be with him forever. We are going to be with God because Jesus accomplished it. How sad is it to leave, for Jesus to leave them? Very sad. But he's saying, not that it won't be hard, but that it will only be temporary. The place that the, every Christian will be eternally is with God. Think about even just the song that, you know, Be, be Thou My Vision. Talk, you know, it talks about basically God being our light in heaven. True light of heaven. That's God. The light of heaven is Jesus, right? We're going to be with God. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. What's the sun in heaven? It's God. We get to be with God. And Jesus is saying to his disciples here, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And don't, you don't need to fret. You don't need to worry because it's accomplished. I will, if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me to be where I am. That's good news. Let me close with just a story here from Spurgeon. It's kind of a parable that Spurgeon tells. He says, There was a man who wanted to go visit his friend. So he knocked on the door, and the servant said, The master is not at home. It does not matter, said the man. I will wait inside and take my ease. I shall do quite as well, though the master is not at home, if you will bring me abundance to eat and drink. So after he entered, he took a chair and made himself very comfortable and feasted to his heart's content. And he went home saying that he had enjoyed the visit. And his friends asked him, Was the master there? Oh no, he wasn't there. But I thought you went to see him. The, the man who went to visit had pretended a great desire to have converse with his friend, but evidently he was lying. For if he had gone to see the master and the master had not been at home, 
Would he have said, wouldn't he have said, well, I'll call another day, but I've missed my errand this time. And he says this, so there are some of you who go up to the house of God. They think that they go there to worship the Lord, but they have no enjoyment of his presence, no communion with his son, no indwelling of his spirit, but they enjoy the day for all that, which shows they did not go to worship God at all. So he's saying, if we miss, if we, I mean, think about this. And this, the, the God-centeredness of the Bible, of Christianity, of the gospel, we're the Lord willing to talk about it again next week. But just think about this. You could know all the right facts. You could know the gospel. You could be able to repeat all the verses. You could go to church. You could meet with the people. You could have a good time talking. You could live a moral life. And in the end, be just like the man who goes to visit his friend and he's not at home and he has just a good time without him. Why? Because if you live a moral life, you know, all, you know it all in your mind, you fellowship, quote-unquote, with the people of God, you have a good time, you have good friends, but you don't know God, you miss everything. Because God was the goal the whole time, to know Him, to be with Him, to be like Him. All our days. That's what we want. So this is this is the comfort that he's giving. It's it's a big comfort with with one big if on the end of it. If God is your portion. Right? If God is your portion, what a comfort. We can trust that we will. He'll be with us here. He's sending His Spirit. He won't leave us as orphans. So God's with us now. We can be near to Him. Everyone who draws near to God in truth, God will draw near to them forever. In the Father's house, the new heaven and the new earth, the light will be God. He will be in His presence. That's good news. If If God Himself is our portion. So as we just think about this, let's just let's just talk like this to one another. Let's talk like this to our kids. You know, when if there's somebody who's got you got sin on your conscience, what's the bad what what's you know, David talked last week about the conscience. What's the sad part about sin on your conscience? It's not that people are gonna look down on you or think less of you or you're gonna have to fess up or or some, you're going to lose something, or something like that. The sad part is, that sin is separating you from God. That's hindering your communion. If you're a Christian, and you've got sin, the sad part isn't you know, that even you're going to let people down, or anything like anything in terms of this world, it's going to be that that sin is hindering your communion with God. When we think about our kid's conversion, we think, man, I want my kid, I want my children to know God. I don't want them to go to hell. Not because hell's painful, although I don't want my kids to experience pain, you know, as a father. The main thing is I just think about them living their whole life and loving just these things on a horizontal level. Loving TV, loving money, loving their friends and never loving God. That's sad. That's a very shallow life. Missing the deepest 
most wonderful reality, which is God himself. That's the thing. That's what's sad about kids not being converted is they won't even know God, the, the greatest joy and blessing that there is. The gospel, when we think about the gospel, I was just talking actually last night with my daughter. It's amazing what kids pick up without, you know, you even like intentionally talking about it, but she said something about heaven and I can't ever remember talking to her about heaven, heaven, and she, and so we talked about it. And I was thinking about this when, when I was doing that. I was thinking, what's the main thing that I need to get across to her? That heaven is where God is and that hell is where God isn't, you know? And that I, we want her to know God, to be right with God. And so, what a comfort, but also may need a twist in our thinking just to turn and remember the main thing. The main thing that Jesus was doing for us was bringing us to be with himself and with the Father. I'll close with this verse from Philippians. We don't want to forget the Father. We talked a lot about Jesus, but remember, it's the Father's house. And many times we think, what's the end of the world going to be like? What's the final goal? Well, it's not actually just even when everyone bows the knee to Jesus. Listen to this verse. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. So that's the end of all things. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. There's one more step, right? When every knee bows to Jesus, he hands back everything over to the Father, to the glory of the Father. We've got a brother in Christ, a husband who loves us, a king who's good to us, but we also have a father. We have both, and that's the good news of the Father's house of heaven. It's to be with them both. Let's pray. Father, we just look to you, and we thank you for your word, and we do pray that it would be a comfort, and um, that if anyone is just worn out and weary from just all the difficulties that living in a sinful world bring, I pray you would comfort their heart uh, with the thought that you're with them and that you will be with them. And if there's anybody who really um, is like all of us before we were converted, just doesn't really want to know you, doesn't really care about knowing you, I pray you would save them. Just open their eyes to see the goodness of God in the face of Jesus. We need your spirit to do it. Thank you for your word, and we just commit the rest of the day and our week to you. Amen. Well, we're dismissed.